We are continuing our studies in the Second Corinthians, and as uh, last week, uh, Josh spoke about giving. Uh, I think Paul was at this stage of time uh, doing a bit of housekeeping as we got to some practical mat- uh, matters which he have uh, as we got to. The, sec, uh, the Corinthian church. Now, so when uh, when Josh spoke about the giving, uh, I was I was wanting also to 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 do the things when he actually Josh actually sort of uh, give us the history the the of our church here, and uh, actually I, I I was I'm I came to the church only about maybe five years five years to this date, and pretty new. But when I listened to and saw what this church and the leadership of this church together have done over the past 90 years, it's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, I'm really privileged to, 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 to be with you all and see how you all have been a very generous church. And also that the the administration of the gift had been done very faithfully. And I, I know that uh, the giving of this church does not only go through the offering box. Because when I hear the stories you all told me of your life, your journey in Christ, there's much more done out of the offering box, the, your life, your, the involvement you have. And I really praise the Lord for the the the... the how you have actually, as uh, Pauline wrote, have been a conduit of God's rich blessing to many and to many parts of the world. So, so, <coughs> so when I when we actually studied Second uh, Corinthians chapter nine, I asked uh, to read a little bit before that chapter eight because it had to do with the administration of administration of giving. But uh, Second Corinthians chapter nine is not about all about the administration of giving. Uh, there was a pledge made by the Corinthian church and we'll talk about it later. But also the second part, uh, Paul continued to actually uh, uh, teach them about uh, about giving, and he actually used the metaphor of a farmer, where the farmer uh, of grain, the more he sowed, the more he reaped. So there is that part whereby he used uh, the metaphor of the farmer. So now, uh, in the principle of we, when we look at the, the, the pledge being made, let's look at some principle of administrate administering God, uh, the church finances from Paul's perspective. It won't be the full picture of uh, management of funds. Everything is there. But there are certain principles which I pick up and maybe uh, you, we find relevant to actually meditate on it again because uh, meditate on it, it again. And uh, after that, I will have a break. And what we're going to do is actually, in the light of this, is to look at Monty's finance. 
So we have a break, and Declan, our deacon Declan, who is in charge of finance, will come and then he will present you some of the structure of how we do things here. And we are open for some questions, all right? Maybe one or two questions. And if we have enough time, then maybe we go through the second part of the, the enterprising farmer. All right, so this is what we're going to do this morning. Now, a pledge has been made, as been read to us, a pledge has been made by the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church. They made a pledge. And if we look carefully to what was there, I think it was a pledge of substantial amount. It's a pledge for giving to a, something, a visionary giving, a, a vision giving. Because it takes them one year, one year to collect that amount of what they pledge. Now, you must understand that Corinth, Corinth is a very cosmopolitan, a successful place. It's upmarket. It's like, actually, I can say it's like Melbourne in terms of prices of food, prices of living, cost of living. So when they have to take one year to collect and they have that upscale living, you're talking of big money. It's like, you know, if you buy a, a, a meal, a Big Mac meal here, it probably costs you $14, $15, right? But that amount of money, if you take it to the third world country, is probably a month's salary. You get what I mean? So Corinth actually is a place where it's really, really high cost of living. And they take one year to actually collect the amount they pledge. So I think it must be pretty huge amount. And it's not, I don't think it's for giving to feed to sustain sustain uh, the, 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 some because at, at times we have there are needs of uh, emergent need maybe people are having need for food and all that for if that's the case of having this uh, immediate need you don't wait one year the people will die of starvation you probably give in, in small amount as, as you collect but here is a visionary giving there is a project going on Although it didn't tell us about the project, I believe there's a project going on. And when they plan for this, it says that with that, the saints are put into action. So there's an action also on the part of the receiver. So they may be planning of, already have some plan of how to use that gift. So you're having a whole thing coming together. A whole year, whole thing coming together. So it's substantial giving, it's a plan giving, and there's some action, and I think it's for... Maybe, I'm not sure, buying a, a property to use for church work or something like that. In that category, I think. In that category. So, a pledge had been made. A pledge had been made. Now, there are some principles which I gather from there. The first is transparency. Transparency. It's said in chapter 8, verse 20 to 21. It says that, put uh, my glasses on. For we aim to, for we aim 
at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight. I thought that was enough. But he said, it's also in the sight of man. There must be transparency in handling the fund. A big fund. There must be transparency. And how did do, how do Paul achieve this? It was by appointing people. Ah, there, there, there are some brothers who is coming over to collect the fund. To collect, and including, including that group is Titus. So he's not saying, okay, give the fund to me, and then, all right, I will take it over. He actually have more people looking over the fund so that there is a certain type of representation by the other churches to see it and say it's a transparent kind of administration. No secret. All right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is... That's the magic. I, I lost my... <laughs> it must be... Okay, here is it. The second thing is that is the appointment of Titus as well as people who are godly. Now, when we talk about fun, we were thinking that the people, the business people, those who are really successful in business and all that, we're the first person you run to. So that they already manage their fund well and they can make a profit out of it. And they know the banking systems and all that. But be warned. Do not take that as the first choice. Go to godly man first. And Titus is godly man. He went, you have read, uh, Colleen have read about the, 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 that Titus was a godly man. And if you read the letters of Titus, you can also see his his credibility as a man of God. So first thing is that the second principle is to look for a man of God. To have a clear conscience so that he actually report to God and he will be clear to people. Not just that this guy is just successful in handling money. Now we did, I did have gone through the journey where um, one of my church previously actually took the choice this guy is successful and he, he, he's a Christian. We know he's a Christian. But not really sort of, you know, uh, a person who, who will study God's word and to be conscious and all. And he is a very big, successful businessman. And we got into trouble. In his enthusiasm to raise money for the church building fund, he tried all kinds of methods. Even one of the methods which which we suggest, he suggests, which really, really actually challenge the value of the church as regard to the authority of God's word. So that is where we have to step in and stop it. And there's a lot of hurt because of that. So the first choice is actually to test the person's godliness. And that's very important. So then only <coughs> we choose to match the gift of the godly man to actually handling the money. Alright? And then, the other pr- principle is avoid, avoided personal handling. Now, Paul was giving that instruction, but he, I, it looked like that he actually was stepping away for actually handling the money. Let these people handle the money. Now, it's very important principle if you know where your 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 calling is your calling is 
Your calling is actually, if the calling is actually the word of God, sometimes you have to limit that. Because when you handle money and have the authority to dispense money, you create a different form of authority on the people who receive the money. You become more lifted up in terms of their, their status. That you go there, especially when we go to the third world country and when we actually have to help them, if they look at us, the authority we have is because we have the authority to give so much to them, to pass so much time to them. It challenges, it challenges the gospel. Paul said that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who has faith. The power of God does not come with the authority of him to actually dispense money or ask other churches to give money to certain church. He actually had the authority of the gospel, the power come from the gospel to break strongholds, to bring people to God, to free the captives, not because of the money he gave, but because of the gospel. And to actually put this thing together, if you will clear a blurred picture of authority, I think sometimes we have to step back. To step back and to be clear. Because the power of God through the gospel should not have any rival. As when we read in chapter 3, we do not share the gospel with trickery. We don't trick a person to come to the kingdom of God. The gospel should be enough. It should have enough power through the Holy Spirit to bring a person to Christ. And sometimes it blurs the image and sometimes you have what we call the bread Christian. You heard the bread Christian? It happened in India a lot. There was a time where India was just poor and the, the mission in, came just, just giving, giving, giving in terms of welfare, charity. And there was what we termed those who come in for that charity and that welfare only. And we call them the bread Christian. And they fall away. And we may have actually blurred the power of the gospel. In fact, when the, when the gospel is preached, sometimes it do not bring the physical welfare to the person. In fact, it goes against his own personal welfare. I remember, I told you before, when we went to Tekloban after the, the, the big hurricane, the church was the distribute, distributing point of welfare. The Red Cross find that the church was a credible place and the pastor there, which you know, was a credible person to actually dispense this correctly, fairly, and not being corrupted. So they were the distribution point. So that I saw that a few, I mean, quite a few bags of grain and stuff there. But then, the church member themselves who actually, they were supposed to take, the, who actually, uh, they're supposed to go there and take, and then go take, take them home because they are also affected. But the church member who are Christian bring their own offering into that so that the community will be blessed. And they actually, in sense, sacrifice 
So when you be a, 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 a child of God will have that kind of tendency, a tendency to be generous as well. So when you preach the gospel, when your person comes to know the Lord, sometimes actually it goes against their welfare. It goes against their welfare. They are becoming more generous, more self-sacrificing, and more actually tightening their stomach. So, so I think that Paul actually sort of uh, avoided person handling. I think that is a good thing too, because he do not want to actually confuse his authority through the word of God, and he did want to be just a Santa Claus. Okay. And the third thing is a plan, budgeted and intentional. So there could be a plan to be set up and it could be wisely done and not just impulsive. So there was a, a, a plan. So at this moment, I would just like to call uh, Declan to come and, uh, and give us our, our Monty, uh, how we do things. Thanks, Declan. Uh, we have a, a time of question, and when the floor gives a question, you repeat the question so that maybe the home can also understand. Uh, oh, uh, all, right. all right. All right. All right. So, a little bit about our governance. What is governance? Governance is, in simple terms, is how a company manages its finances. So, at Monty here, we have a financial policy, and we are governed by our policies. I would just like to share two of these. One is the controls that we have in place for collecting monies and paying monies. Um, there's two ways that we collect money. One is electronically, and that has no third-party intervention. You directly put money into our bank account. Secondly, it's from the cash that you put in the offering box. So don't hand that cash to anybody, any deacons or anyone else. Put it in the box earmark it if necessary. At the end of the service, the box is retrieved and two deacons will witness the monies that we have collected and we record this in a little record book that we have. During the week, the money is then banked into our account. Same for money going out of the account, two signatories are required. Um, a deacon, the um, one elder and the finance um, treasurer has um, are the signatories to these accounts. So for the start of a payment to be made, documentary proof is required. So we need a receipt, some verification for this payment to be made. Um, an example would be just say the monthly posters that we get um, that is out there. We receive a payment to be made for that poster. We ensure that that poster is been put up. Um, we'll start off the payment by the first signatory verifying this payment, setting it up in a bank account, forwarding this documentation to the next signatory, who then verifies it and authorize that. So two payments, two signatories to every payment going out. So what happens to these receipts and that record for the um, month, uh, for the Sundays that we've taken the offerings. Both these records are sent to the church administrator. The church administrator doesn't have access to our bank account. She has the feeds 
this uh, bank will feed all these transaction records to our accounting system. She marries both these transactions. What we've paid out with the receipts, and she journals them in that, um, our accounting system. Same for what we receive in the collection box. She journals this. So how do we verify that the money has been put in the bank? Like I said, we collected the money, we counted it. Who knows that the money has gone into the bank? By virtue of a task, she's policing this. She sees this record there that we've collected $400 this Sunday. She waits and sees the bank feeds, and she sees, yes, 400 is in there. 200 probably to mission, not 200 to general funds, and she records this and journals this in that. So we have a good policy in place. We have good security in place. I can attest to her. I was back in Singapore for holidays for four weeks. During that period, I didn't give her the, um, the records for the collections. The day I came back on the Sunday, she came up to me, you missed four. I said, yes, all right. So, so we've got that secured and we were quite happy with that. Um, secondly is stewardship. And that's about budgeting. And this is the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter is where we start our budget. So we start to prepare a budget for what we're going to spend next year. It's the plans for our finances. Um, this is then done by the deacons, the first cut. We send it to the elders. The elders will then look at it. It may go to and fro, but eventually when it is approved and authorized, I mean it's approved and signed off by the elders, then we track that budget to see how we are faring and how we, we go along the way, you know. Um, let me just go to the next one. And how can we do better in this? So what I've been doing is I've been using historical data to project future expenses. But if we can have our relevant ministries, our ministry leaders, if you have a plan for next year, what you want to do, assuming youth ministry wants to have an outreach event and you need 500, if you could plan that, put a timeline to it. We need 500 in June for this outreach ministry. Plan that. Send your plans to Josh. Josh will gather all this, and he will forward them to me for me to formulate the budget for each relevant ministries. And this will provide more accuracy in how we're going to spend the money and the plans that we have. It doesn't mean that it will be approved because it still has to go to the elders to be approved. But once that is approved, we can help you then track along the way, assuming you plan to have this project going ahead, but you didn't carry it out. We would know then, you know, because the money is not spent and is there something that we can help you to do or we can track that, you know, is it worthwhile doing this or something like that. So it's very good to have a plan, start your plan, and hopefully by the first week of November, if you can submit that by the end of the first week, so you've got three weeks, submit that to Josh, um, I will collate it and then submit that to the elders. So um, that will help us to be more accurate instead of having to use historical information to project future expenses. So I hope that will help you understand how we manage our uh, payments and collections and our finances as well. Are there any questions that you have? Uh, don't be misconstrued that the budget has to be positive. We can plan for a negative budget. If we have a project, like you know, even a company that starts off, might project for a period of time for a negative budget. 
as well. Um, what we can pray for is we are not immune to uh, inflation. Um, as you know, you know, people in the building trade will know that you know, your costs have been overrun by building materials going up. Those of you who have gone grocery shopping will realize prices of stuff have gone up. I projected a 10% increase for insurance, but then it was a 25% increase. So we are not immune to inflation. So this is something that we can pray for because that it erodes the, the top line, you know. So if there's no questions, then I'll hand it back to Andrew. I hope this is informative. <coughs> Thanks, Declan. How good it is to actually know what goes on behind behind the scene. Uh, maybe Declan, one question for you is: Who are the signatory? So myself, David, Owen, um, Sam. All right. Okay. There are four signatures. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. I think we have enough time to just go through the next part. Okay. In the next, let's uh, quickly run through that portion of the scripture again. Uh, let me read. I can't read the way Colleen reads. She's amazing. But let me try. <coughs> the point, in uh, chapter, uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 onward. Uh, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them. And for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of this surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. When I came 14 years ago to Australia, I'm first time introduced to the size of your farm. You know, in a small place like Malaysia, we just have, uh, other than the oil palm industry, the, all the food farm are pretty small, pretty small. But when I came over to Maryborough, I was really uh, impressed by the thousands of acres my, fr my fellow friends have, my friends have, uh, and some of them are actually elders of the church, and they took me to the farm and, you know, just looked through and said, that's the end, where's the end? That, that hill over there, and then oh, the hill over there, and it's amazing. 
Now, Paul introduced us to this metaphor of a farmer. And the farmer, when if you, there's a bit of dilemma too, in the sense that the very, uh, we talk about, let's say, wheat and all kinds of grain, the, the very thing you actually eat is the very thing you also put on the soil to, to grow. So you have to balance up and say, you know, uh, which should I keep and which should I sow? And here Paul says, if you sow a lot, use most of the grain to sow, you reap much more. You reap much more. So this is the metaphor which Paul used. And God will actually here, he says, will bless us abundantly. Abundantly. And I was meditating on this. What are the blessings God gave us in this particular portion of Scripture? The, 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 sorry. The abundant blessing in. Abound in good work in chapter 9, verse 8. Chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. So it is one of the spiritual principles. The more you work at your spiritual gift, the more fruitful, the more capable you are in practicing the spiritual gift. It's the same as this spiritual gift of giving. And this is what? So it is the ability to be used more by God as we actually avail ourselves more to God. So that is the first blessing. The first blessing. If we feel our, a bit of fruitlessness in our ourselves, I think we should like to say, Lord, you know, in what way could I actually uh, be used by you more? The next thing is the harvest of righteousness in chapter 9, verse 10. The harvest of righteousness. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. What the result of the good work or the effort we put in is not going to give us transient, transient results. Here it says of harvest of righteousness. It will affect people deeply and for eternity. What, what, what an importance it plays. What an importance it plays in the fruit. Harvest of righteousness. And then it will bring thanksgiving and praise to God. Chapter 9, verse 11 to 15. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When people actually are blessed by the work you do, by the giving you give, enriching their life, we actually bring praises to God that way. More than just, we, we sing this, this morning, praises to God. 
Because of the work, we have more people praising God, worshipping God. Now, I'm rushing all these truths to be able to have opportunity to just tell you a story, which actually sort of take all this into, into perspective. Uh, good work, abounding good work, the harvest of righteousness, and bring praise and thanksgiving to God. Now, when we actually <coughs> do an action, there is a rippling effect. Whether good or bad, there is a rippling effect. You know, when we do this Christmas bob and all that, we may not see this rippling effect, but there are rippling effect, rippling effect. And sometimes, in God's grace, we are able to see one or two of those happening in our eyes. In our eyes. <coughs> While I was, uh, you know, I have a plan for the youth when I was when I was in charge of the youth work. There was almost zero youth, and then uh, I have a three years plan, reach out, build up, and then send out. Three years plan for them. So the first year when we reached out, the Lord actually sort of started to make the work grow. And we, I started to have youth of uh, uh, age, uh, what you have here, so year 9 to year 12, coming to our youth. And they come from non-Christian family. Fresh. Come from non-Christian family. And through that dynamic and God's blessing, if they grow to... 10, 15, 20, and they were a dynamic group, and they were starting to grasp with God's word and discipleship and believing in the Lord. And it was amazing to see, you know, uh, that growth of the work. And I told the Lord, Lord, you know, I have 20 in my hand now, that's enough. Now shut the door, because I was thinking of the next part is actually to build them out. I don't have enough people. I should have, actually now I thought of it, I should have prayed for more people to come in so that we can have bigger. So that was, you know, that, that was a time where. But anyway, we have 20, 25 people coming at regular basis from non-Christian family on fire, and they were great. And I told God, stop. Now this is one part of the story. Now let's look to the other part of the story. In our school, Chins and my, my school, we have a teacher. His, her name is Mrs. Sweet, and she is, uh, she's very authoritative, she knows her work, she's a biology teacher, and she hate the, she hated the, the, uh, the science department in our school. And it was, the, I think in our place there, uh, the best school around. And she's an atheist. Authority, but she she have a good heart because she loves her work, and she actually influenced a lot of a lot of students well. In the classroom, she will actually you know expound on evolution until those who actually believe in God is stupid. In her staff room, she will actually tear down Christian Christianity and Christian. And how do we know that? Is because there are quite a few Christians among her staff, and one, one, and there are quite, you know, there are one or two Christians among the staff. So this is a woman who, you know, how you can share the gospel with her? There's a chance she's successful and she's married to one successful dentist in town too. So she's also rich. Everything take 
but she had one challenge in her life. Of her two sons she had, one was actually slightly, he's retarded. You know, he's he, he retarded and she under, he understands things maybe about three or four years, you know, less than what he is. Retarded. And she was, she had been sending this child to a lot of, you know, places so that the child can have some life of interaction, of some, some life, inter- interact with other kids. But every time the child came back from that kind of center and all that, he came back broken, in tears. And this woman was really distraught. So when she heard that, we have something out in our church, this youth group, and the son is about that age. She approaches one of our church members, who is also her friend, and, and asks whether she can send the son to our group. I said, sorry, full house. I pray for God, 25, 20, that's it. And then moreover, I say, I did not train. I'm not trained to be able to handle another which need special training or something I do not I haven't seen the child I say, how, 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 how do you handle that I say no don't distract me I'm really this direction you know and there's fruit in this direction so I, I say politely say you know maybe not so when in the next following week when I met with the, the, the group of youth I have with them that I shared with them you know there was this thing People asking me to take this kid to your group. And I told them, you know, because of our limitation, we just cannot, and maybe we can pray for that. This group of youth who are young in their faith gather together, and I don't know what goes on. And they came back to me and say, they call me uncle. They say, Uncle Andrew, you don't have to take care of them, of him. We will take care of him. You just bring him in. I say, how can you refuse, you know? So I say, okay, we'll, we'll invite him. So when the child came in, and for, and I can see how this group of kids, who actually are much poorer in background and, and broken home and all that, are now Christian, adopt him. Take care of him in games. You know, he, when he plays games, he do not know which side he's on, and he will be... A train board everywhere and all that, but they, they actually enveloped him with much love and care for him. And he's transformed. And he came to even confess his love for the Lord. And the mother, for the first time, saw the change of this young, young boy. Changed her completely. She invited us to use her house at one of the venues to have meetings and provide hospitality. And not only that, it was told to me later on, whenever in the classroom, uh, in the staff room, in the staff room, if anybody were to talk anything against Christianity, she would just stand up and say, this is what happened. How she sent a child to all these places, you know, all the other religious places, and they, they were turned down and he came back broken. But for this group of youth who actually profess to be Christian, they have made so much difference in my child's life. Thank giving. 
I do not know what her, her, her journey, she, she passed away. I do not know how the journey as regard to her fate. I do not know. But I, we, we, we know that uh, her son, her other son, I think he did later on when he was normal child, went on and I think he did actually come to know the Lord. But this is where you say, when you actually do the work of God and you see people bring thanksgiving to God, this is abundant blessing to me. I say, okay, you know, that was actually praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So you may not see sometimes what the gift you give to the mission work Next week, call it mission or, or, or the, the shoebox and all that kind of thing. But I think we will see when we go to heaven. And we'll see some people will testify and then that would be great, isn't it? Okay, shall we come to the Lord in prayer? My Father God, I thank you, dear Lord God, that you are a great God and we thank you that you really give us opportunity to actually love. We thank you that, dear Lord God, I thank you to see how faithful you have been uh, providing for our church and also make us to actually be channel of your blessing. We pray that, dear Lord God, that uh, you continue to help us in this ministry. And we pray that, dear Lord God, whatever we do, dear Lord God, will bring glory and thanksgiving to you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.